This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Now, this is the midweek Mother of All Talk Shows. We broadcast now on Sunday evenings at 7 p.m. UK time. Remember, the clocks will soon change in the United States. Uh, So we'll be on an hour earlier, at least for a little while. 7 p.m. on Sundays and 9 p.m. UK time on Wednesdays. The Wednesday show, at least the first hour of it, is brought to you courtesy of our sponsor, my good friend Ravi and his ravishing company. The more I dive deep into it, the more impressed I am. His company is called 220KM, 220KM, and you can check out their website. 220KM develops the most unique and nutrient-rich ingredients and cosmetics in the whole world whilst regenerating native ecosystems and healing the earth for future generations. These are nature's ingredients, simplified. Their secret is in the unique processing techniques used for nutrient retention through freeze drying and stone grinding, resulting in zero biomass waste. All products, including their cosmetic face and hair mask powders, which I'm wearing right now, including their cosmetic face and hair mask powders, are all natural and food grade, making them as safe for your body as the ingredients in their original form. Get creative in the kitchen with their variety of savory or sweet ingredients, guaranteed to become a new staple in your pantry or kitchen, as we call it at home. Or treat yourself to their face and hair mask powders. I promise you, you'll thank me for that tip. Either way, these impactful ingredients have been developed to inspire change. Visit 220kminc.com to check out all their products. Ingredients, that's the food ingredients, are now available in Amazon Canada and will be available shortly in the US and UK marketplaces. I promise you, although uh, I had to read that out, I meant every word of it, as I know I will next week when we're joined by a second sponsor for the second hour of the midweek moats. Now, so much to talk about this evening. Elon Musk's takeover of Twitter uh, cannot be underestimated in its importance. The company is currently owned by a group of oligarchs, the most prominent of whom is a member of the Saudi royal family. So for any of you poised over the typewriter right now to denounce Musk as an oligarch, as a mogul, 
The company is already owned by moguls. The question is, would you rather it was owned by the mogul Elon Musk or the mogul member of the Saudi royal family? I know which I prefer. If he lives up to his repeated promises of opening up the company, of making it transparent, of rooting out the robots that proliferate in enormous numbers, fake news machines that are pumping out narratives which are designed to mislead the public into thinking that public opinion is one thing when it may very well be quite another. The use of algorithmic suppression, for example, my 440,000 followers on Twitter, only 84% of them, according to my legal team, actually uh, are excluded, meaning that 16% of you are still seeing my output on Twitter. Hooray, yep, yep. 16% of my 440,000 followers on Twitter ever see a single tweet from me. And the reason for that algorithmic suppression, or the proximate reason, is that Twitter falsely labeled me as a Russian state media affiliate, which I never was and am not now. And I have taken a legal action in the High Court in Dublin, where the Twitter company is headquartered, and I demand that the terms of the settlement are met under the new ownership of Elon Musk. And I feel somehow a little bit confident that they will be because it would be a signal to the man-bund, man-bag-carrying, skinny-jeaned and sneaker-wearing executives of Twitter that the company is under new management and that people with views like mine will be able to compete in the marketplace of ideas on a fair basis. You might like what I say, you might hate it, but you at least have the right to hear it, and I have the right to be heard. The question we're posing in our poll tonight is whether Prince Andrew, he of the Ghislaine Maxwell affair, he of the Jeffrey Epstein affair, should be allowed to stand in for King Charles III. Not on the chopping block like King Charles I, but at state engagements. Who would want Prince Andrew closing in on their daughters or on the ribbons that they are designed to cut in the name of King Charles? No one in their right mind, surely. Prince Harry might be a different kind of cove. At least he doesn't prey on very young girls who are there to please the billionaire uh, Jeffrey Epstein. But he's pretty unpopular in Britain. Picking him to stand in for King Charles might well hasten the end of the monarchy. That's why I'm voting yes in this poll, because I want to see the end of the monarchy. So bring it on, bring Andrew and Harry, send them both to the same functions, cutting the same ribbons, the faster to lead to the end of the Ruritarian fantasy that an, an hereditary monarch 
should be the head of state in Britain. Mind you, democracy is so overrated. We've got Joe Biden and now Rashid Sanuk. For those who don't know the inside on that latter point, Joe Biden, in public, in front of a camera, greeted the news of Britain's first Prime Minister of Colour, first Indian ethnic Prime Minister, first Hindu Prime Minister, by calling him a Muslim, Rashid Sanuk, is what Joe Biden thought was the name of Britain's Prime Minister. Now that tells you a number of things. First of all, the advancing senility of the US President is vaulting and has as yet no bounds. Secondly, Britain is so important to the White House that Joe Biden had plainly never heard of the man who had just become the Prime Minister of Britain. I suppose we should be grateful uh, that he didn't describe him as that guy down under, as he did the Australian Prime Minister when uh, greeting the, uh, the uh, launch of the AUKUS, the Australian-UK-US naval uh, coalition designed to confront China in the Indo-Pacific. But he might as well have done. So much for the special relationship. But it's only two weeks until Joe Biden's date with destiny. Joe Biden, in two weeks, faces the voters of the United States in the midterm elections. My guest tonight, Garland Nixon, a few weeks ago, said that this would be a wipeout of the Democratic Party of biblical proportions. And the opinion polls are catching up with Garland Nixon's prediction. The opinion polls are utterly, devastatingly bad for the Democrats, and it couldn't happen to a nicer group of people. The truth is that in two weeks' time, the lame duck presidency of Joe Biden will be a dead duck. The Democrats will hold the White House, but lose the Senate and the House of Representatives impeachment proceedings against President Biden to force him from office will be launched and may very well be passed. Congressional investigations of the Hunter Biden laptop will begin. Congressional investigations of Biden's political use or misuse, abuse of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and of the CIA will immediately be launched. The deep state in the United States will begin to quiver and its knees to knock because once that seam begins to be mined, the entire Russiagate hoax launched by the deep state in conjunction with Hillary Clinton Happy birthday, Hillary, 75 today. Bill says he's the luckiest man alive. That's what he told Miss Lewinsky back in the day. So hey, he's, he's some guy, is Bill. But anyway, Hillary Clinton, the Democratic Party, the deep state in the US, launched the entirely fake Russiagate hoax based on 
Christopher Steele's bogus disinformation paid for by the Democratic Party paralyzed the American polity throughout the entire first half of Donald Trump's first presidential term. I say first, I firmly believe that there will be a second. So big events will be underway in the United States just two weeks from now. We're looking at the possibility of doing a special show on the US midterms. Maybe we'll do it on a Wednesday or a Sunday, or maybe we'll pick another night and do it. We're investigating the possibility of that. With my guest Garland Nixon, I reckon we could bring you some analysis that you will not find elsewhere, certainly not on the mainstream media. And turning my attention now to the war. The war goes on, but the tables have turned. I had a long conversation today with a former colonel, a retired colonel from the British Armed Forces, a man of military substance who knows what he's talking about. His prediction for the course of the war matches almost entirely the predictions of Scott Ritter, the former US Marine Intelligence Officer, and Gonzalo Lira, who between them, on our clips over the last three weeks, have racked up hundreds of thousands of views. If you haven't watched them, watch them now. I'm trying to persuade the Colonel to join us on a rotating basis with the other two for a kind of war log where we compare and contrast the analysis of all three. But anyway, the Colonel, former British Army Colonel that I spoke to at length this afternoon was very clear. As the real Russian army arrives on the field, as opposed to the ragtag and bobtail concoction of militia and gendarme and armed police that the Russians had fielded hitherto, the course of the war will be like the course of a knife through butter, his words, not mine. And so the West, NATO and Zelensky are shortly to have very many reasons for regretting that they did not reach a political settlement, either back in April when Zelensky first indicated in Turkey that he was ready to talk Turkey with the Russian President Putin, until Boris Johnson, about whom more in a minute, scuppered the whole deal. And they're going to, and all of us are now, ruining the day that France and Germany as the guarantor powers of the Security Council of the United Nations did not implement the Minsk II agreements which would have obviated the need for this war altogether. It's vital that you know that. You only know it if you know it because you are watching alternatives like moats to the mainstream media, which never mentions Minsk, never mentions Minsk too, never mentions that Zelensky signed up for a peace deal and didn't implement it, that France and Germany guaranteed that he would but didn't force him to deliver. And if that had been done, hundreds of thousands of Ukrainian servicemen 
would still be alive today instead of their bones now being in the muddy, soon-to-be-frozen earth of the steppes of the Ukraine. Thousands of Russian bodies, too, would still be on this side of the daisies rather than pushing them up. General Winter arrives on the battlefield very soon, in the next month or so. The war will go on until the spring, my friend the colonel tells me. But by the spring, the Russians, if no negotiated settlement is reached, will be at the gates of Kiev. And this time, no more Mr. Nice Guy. So it's important to realize, as Gonzalo Lira pointed out in the clip with me, to which I referred earlier, that you are all being fed a lie that somehow Ukraine are winning, never mind can win, this conflict with the nuclear-armed superpower. But there is, of course, one option left, and it's an option beginning to preoccupy some important political and military brains. And that option is a dirty nuclear bomb exploded by the Kiev regime designed to force a nuclear response from Russia and the entry of NATO into what might become an intercontinental thermonuclear war, which would mean the end of life on Earth. Just think about that. And while you're at it, think about this. FIFA is currently under serious pressure to remove Iran's place in the World Cup Qatar, which starts 25 days from now, and give that place to Ukraine. You think I'm making that up? Now, we've got a poll. Should Princes Andrew and Harry be allowed to stand in for the king? Not many takers for it. Uh, on Twitter, uh, yes, 17%, no, 83%. Who were the 17% who want Prince Andrew out on public duties in Britain? There are obviously people who don't have young daughters. And on YouTube, it's yes, 21%, no, 79%. And on Telegram, please follow me on Telegram. That's uh, t.me forward slash George Galloway. It's yes, 22% and no, 78%. Do subscribe and like the show on YouTube. Subscribe to my YouTube channel. Still a very large number of you actually watching this show on YouTube who haven't yet subscribed. Please do so. Now, Professor Mohammed Marandi is the chair of American Studies at the University of Tehran. And joins me now, his eloquent voice in English, defending Iran, and I'm grateful that you're doing it again here, Professor. Let me start with the apparently banal uh, and, and, and virtually unbelievable. Is it true that Iran might lose its place in the World Cup and be replaced by Ukraine? Can that possibly be true? It's highly unlikely, but these uh, so-called Iranians in 
Europe and North America that are hostile towards their own country and to support Western sanctions against ordinary Iranians, they have launched a campaign to ban Iran from participating. And they're trying to lobby uh, the different governments to uh, remove Iran from the World Cup, uh, which uh, ironically uh, makes ordinary Iranians more hostile towards these regime change activists. But uh, that is what they're trying to do. But there's no sign or indication that they are succeeding. Well, let's work on the hypothesis that they fail and very much hope that they will, though, as you point out, nothing could be more guaranteed to make the Iranian people hate them than to campaign for their own country to be kicked out of the World Cup. But let's assume uh, it goes ahead. Um, you have a couple of interesting fixtures in the, uh, uh, in the group stages, playing both England and the United States. What could possibly go wrong? Yes, it will be somewhat uh, interesting, both the match with the UK, because uh, with all due respect to your British viewers, the UK government has a very long and dark history in our part of the world and in Iran in particular. Uh, we all remember the 1953 coup uh, in our school books, and those who are very old, they remember the coup itself. Uh, and also, of course, the United States, which has been our tormentor uh, for the last uh, five decades, at least. Well, it's the little Satan and the great Satan that you're playing. Uh, <laughs> as I say, it could be quite fiery. Yes, but of course, the little Satan is a reference to the government of the UK and the great Satan to the uh, American government. But my, I understand uh, the, uh, uh, that ordinary people in the UK would be very happy to see their team win the World Cup. And uh, I wish ordinary UK citizens and American citizens all the best. Well, uh, I hope you don't beat England, but I hope you do beat the United States of America. But that's just the way, the way I lean. Let's turn to weightier matters, Professor. Um, you said those who are old enough, and I was born in 1954, so I'm not quite old enough to remember the coup. Uh, but I am old enough to remember something called the Iran nuclear deal. Whatever happened to that? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, in 2015, Iran and the P5 plus one struck a deal. It was basically negotiations between Iran and the United States, of course. And the Americans violated the deal from day one. Uh, and of course, the Europeans, since they always obey the United States, they too violated the deal. So Obama, while he was supposed to implement the deal and allow and actually facilitate, according to the deal, he was supposed to facilitate the normalization of Iranian business and trade. Behind the scenes, he was threatening banks, financial institutions, major companies and corporations, shipping companies, insurance companies not to work with Iran. So that was a clear violation of the deal. Whereas the Iranians were in full compliance, as the International Atomic Energy Agency admitted 
many times. Then when Trump came, he tore up the deal, as we all know, and Biden, he continues to pursue Trump's policies. So the, only, the side that left the deal or, and violated the deal was the United States and the Europeans. So after Biden came to power, even though he did nothing to return to the deal, ultimately we had negotiations between Iran and the P4 plus one. And the Americans, since they had left the deal, they were not at the table, but they were sitting in buildings next door and negotiating indirectly. During the months of negotiations in Vienna, and I was in Vienna both for the recent talks and also in 2015 uh, during the previous administration's talks. In, in Vienna, Iran was able to gain major concessions. And after a few months, uh, we saw the EU give a text. And it, was, it met a lot of Iran's demands. The Iranians studied the text. They made some changes, and they said that these changes need to be made for the text to be acceptable. Joseph Borrell, uh, the, a U.S. ally and the EU foreign policy chief, said that the Iranian uh, demands are reasonable. At that point, we all thought there would be a deal. We thought it was over. But then the Americans delayed their response, and when they did give a response, it was obviously very different from what Borrell was saying, and the interpretation in Tehran was that the Americans were stalling and they wanted to wait until after the November elections and probably the elections in, uh, in the Israeli regime as well. Well, Joe Biden campaigned for the presidency on the promise that he would re-enter the deal, the policy of the Democrats uh, was to uh, remake the deal. After all, Trump only ripped it up because it was Obama that negotiated it. In the first place, a kind of spite uh, that motivated him. So uh, why did he change his mind or was he lying all along? I think that he was probably lying all along because on day one, when he became president, he uh, used presidential decrees to basically overturn almost everything that Trump did through presidential decrees. One of the very th few things that he left untouched were Trump's sanctions that were directed against ordinary Iranians, the maximum pressure sanctions that there. And by the way, these maximum pressure sanctions were not Trump's. They were Obama's. The maximum pressure sanctions that targeted women and children in Iran were first implemented under Obama. Then when he saw he was unable to force Iran to halt the enrichment of uranium because it's Iran's sovereign right, he was forced to negotiate with Iran. He accepted Iran's right to negotiation to, to, to nuclear enrichment. And they negotiated the 2015 deal, which Obama violated, as I said earlier. So what Trump was angry about was that he was saying that Obama should have continued to strangle ordinary Iranians. He should have continued with the maximum pressure sanctions, with those cruel and barbaric sanctions. But ultimately, what we saw was that uh, when Biden came to power, he continued to pursue the same sanctions that 
Trump did. So he refused to remove any of the presidential decrees or to uh, cast them aside or to sign new presidential degrees to uh, to to end Trump's uh, presidential decrees. And we are where we are today as a result. Now, uh, the long, decades-long hostility of the United States towards Iran uh, shows no sign of dimming. Uh, and they have uh, friends inside your country. That much is clear. It could hardly be otherwise. Uh, before the uh, Iranian Revolution, uh, your country was ruled by a tyrant. Uh, who was a puppet of the United States of America, and that tyranny had a comprador, uh, which not all of which uh, fled the country. So even from the beginning, you had uh, agents of the Americans inside your country. And of course, most Iranians have been born since uh, the revolution. Iran is one of the youngest countries in the world. So they have to keep up their propaganda pressure. There are three uh, television stations operating from London, beaming hostile propaganda into Iran. So, of course, there will always be in any big country, in any polity, whatever kind of polity it is, be people that don't like the regime. But sporadically, uh, the Trojan horse uh, opens its doors and out come uh, some of those secreted uh, therein. And that's what's been happening recently, hasn't it? Absolutely. Uh, there are literally hundreds of TV channels. Three of the key channels are in the UK. There are many in the United States. Uh, and uh, they are constantly uh, promoting violence. They are constantly... Uh, playing on sectarian fault lines, ethnic fault lines. They are uh, producing misinformation. Uh, in fact, the, the, the demise, the death of this young lady, Mahsa Amini, what uh, was very, what caused uh, the unrest was that uh, these media outlets all lied on day one. They claimed with great confidence that she was tortured and murdered. And so there were people who came to the streets and, and protested. And uh, then the footage came out. She, when she left the police van, she was not in handcuffs. She, she wasn't holding her head. There was no sign of physical pain. She went into a hall with other people. She, after a while, she stood and spoke with someone and then suddenly collapsed. Then in the autopsy, uh, a large number of very well-known physicians uh, examined the evidence her body, and they found no sign of uh, physical uh, damage to the body that would be uh, the result of some sort of violent attack. And, uh, and also, there is a clip of her father who was standing beside the body, and they, the, they were asking him to check her head, and he said he sees that he knows it's, that there was no uh, physical uh, attack on her. There was no sign of any uh, damage to the head or, and, and, the, and the body. So, but they had already caused the, the they, so, but they had created this unrest. And then we saw 
what the United States does. They, the United States funds different terrorist organizations like in the Komole and others in Iraqi Kurdistan, in Sistan, Baluchistan of uh, Pakistan. They fund other terrorist organizations alongside their allies and they fund the former monarchists and the MEK, the Mujahideen Khal terrorist organization, which fought for Saddam Hussein and killed 17,000 Iranians in the 1980s. They, are, they have bases across Europe and North America. Their biggest base is in Albania, where there are thousands of trolls who work there. And they admit they are active in Iran. So they, all these different groups, they coordinated and uh, rioted uh, in different cities and in Tehran. And so they've, in, so the pro, there are no protests basically now. They're basically riots and they are very well organized. Of course, many, they've died down, but uh, you know, every once in a while they suddenly light up again. And, and these are, as I said, they're very well coordinated. They're connected to these groups abroad and people are very angry. And let me give you an example that just happened that, you know, this is anecdotal, but I think it, it, it is telling. Two days ago in my own faculty at the University of Tehran, we had a faculty meeting. There were around 40 professors there and the professors were very upset. Uh, they were being harassed by these, these rioters, uh, a handful of students. And the irony is that most of those who were harassed were women. There were women professors, including the dean of the faculty, who's a woman. My boss at the University of Tehran is a woman. Uh, so, uh, and who are the harassers? They're, they're basically young men. So while in the West they're talking about the emancipation of women and how these rioters are fighting for human rights, in reality, what we are experiencing, what I've been experiencing, my colleagues have been experiencing, again, I'm saying this is anecdotal, but I think it's quite telling, is something very different. Well, of course, they're big on women's rights in Iran, not so much in Saudi Arabia, and they don't give a toss about the women suffering under occupation in Palestine, a uh, significant number of whom, uh, with their children, uh, have been uh, killed. But not many Hollywood actresses are chopping off their hair for the plight of the women in, in Bethlehem or in Gaza. Or in their own country. It's in Iran, women are pilots, they're helicopter pilots, they're taxi drivers, they're scientists, they're members of parliament. Uh, one of my colleagues at the sister University of Tehran, the University for Medical Sciences, she was the Minister of Health for four years. The Ministry of Health is the second largest ministry in the government, which uh, has medical education, the healthcare network. It, it is huge. And uh, we have women artists, we have women actresses, we have women directors. They're, 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 we have major women businessmen or businesswomen. Uh, so uh, th this narrative in the West about women is simply because uh, in Iran, the women in the public, uh, they, they're supposed to wear a headscarf. And not everyone does it anyway. No, not everyone did it anyway. The, the, but that's in Iran, the, the notion of uh, the objectification of women, the commodification of women, the sexualization of women is different from in the West. So people, many in the West may disagree, 
but women in Iran and many people in Iran and many men in Iran see uh, the world differently. It's not to control women. They believe that this is an, this, they're emancipating women. Now, now they can disagree, but to say that women in Iran are suppressed, I mean, women across the world, their situation is not ideal. But in London, where you are, a woman late at night can, would probably not, it would, at least my experience was that it would not be very smart for a woman to walk alone at night in much many parts of London. A woman in Tehran, I can't say for the whole, this is true for the whole city, but in most parts of Tehran, a woman can walk alone 10, at 10, 11 p.m. at night and feel pretty safe. Professor Morandi, as always, a big pleasure to talk with you and good luck in the World Cup when it comes, except against England. Thanks for joining me. That was Professor Mohamed Morandi of the American Studies Department at the University of Tehran. Uh, it's important, I think, that we do talk about Nord Stream and Dennis is in Germany to talk about that. Go ahead, Dennis. No, I'm an Irish man, born in Scotland, but I'm working in Germany. <laughs> okay, there you go. On you go, Dennis. Well, I'm, I'm with the north of Germany at a place called Schleswig-Holstein. And it's not too far away uh-huh. from that pipeline was blown up off the island of Bornholm. And my question would be, why did the Swedish investigate it and not the Germans, not the Danish? What the hell is going on? And I'm a pipe welder myself, by the way. And the pictures I've seen, that pipeline looked very sanded up, ready to be welded. Well, you don't need to be Sherlock Holmes, and you definitely don't need a magnifying glass uh, to see. In fact, Inspector uh, Clouseau uh, could uh, easily solve this uh, crime. Peter Sellers, Pink Panther uh, material, really. Uh, it is as plain as day. Uh, that it was very surgically destroyed. Uh, it's uh, pretty obvious on the principle of qui bono, who benefits, uh, who was responsible for it. And above all, you can measure uh, who was responsible for it by the complete lack of investigative journalism going on into the crime, which was, after all, the biggest act of international terrorism since 9-11. If you think about it, uh, 9-11 cost 3,000 people their lives directly and then many millions indirectly. But the destruction of a vital piece of European energy infrastructure costing billions, billions of euros to build and the conduit through which vitally important gas uh, was to be pumped to keep the wheels of industry turning throughout Europe, particularly in Germany, to keep people warm through what may very well be a long and bitter winter. Uh, The blowing up of that, the destruction of that, the leaking into the atmosphere of methane in such quantities that you can literally detect it in space from satellites in space can detect this methane. A gigantic environmental, ecological disaster. 
hundreds of millions of euros worth of gas belonging to Russia lost bubbling up into the atmosphere and the removal, the ending of any possibility of that particular pipeline, the other one seems to have survived. Uh, this is a gigantic story. If Russia had done it, it would still be front page news. It would still be dominating the news cycle. But of course, it isn't in the media at all. And the reason is the media all know that Joe Biden did it. The Swedes know, the Danes know, above all the Germans know. There was an opinion poll in Germany showing that 92% of Germans believe that the Americans blew up the pipeline, jointly owned by Russia and Germany. Neither Russia nor Germany are being given access to the pipeline to investigate the explosion. Russia, which owns 50% of the pipeline, is not being given any information or right to investigate it at all. So, as I say, I mean, Cluzo could tell you, a boom? Of course it was a boom. It was a boom of an American nature. It was a boom from Biden. It was Biden's boom. Undoubtedly. Dennis, you know the answers yourself. You're in Germany. What do your colleagues think was the cause of the destruction of their Nord Stream pipeline? Last word to you. Did, did you know, George, that two days after this destruction, that Norway opened a pipeline from Norway to Poland? Dennis, hail, hail, and enjoy your time in Schleswig-Holstein. I haven't heard that for many decades. Sorry, let me squeeze in John in Norwich on xenophobia. Go ahead, John. Thank you for taking my call and uh, good health to you and all your family. Um, I, I actually want to talk about, yes, what young people call racism, uh, what you or I would call xenophobia. Um, I just quickly want to say, um, yes, about 25 years ago, my friends told me that you shout too much. And I just want to say to you, I prefer a man who shouts the truth to one who tells soft, eloquent lies. Right, so... What a beautiful, I'm a beautiful colonial, phrase. you might say. I was born in Trinidad. And um, so I actually saw a bit of racism against me. I was called whitey and limey and all that sort of stuff. And then when I came to school here, um, I had a Trinidad accent. So I actually got called the N-word and the C word, the coolie word, all those words. Any, anyway, what I really want to mention was that uh, it horrifies me that um, over all these years, I've thought that things were getting better, both the idea of World War Three, I thought that was becoming more distant, and also the idea of racism and xenophobia. But in the last few years, especially towards Russia. I want, to, I want to focus on Russia with this because we've seen the Litvinenko, we saw the downing of the Malaysian plane, we saw the Russiagate scandals, which were in this country as well, weren't they? They, they were saying that they interfered with our elections as well. We saw the Scripples, 
All of this stuff is utter garbage, as we know. There's no evidence. They never showed any evidence towards any of these things. And what I found really shocking was back in February when this special operation began, the way people jumped on um, xenophobia against Russians. And I just wondered, I've not heard anyone speak about this at all and how this has been built up over the last few years to hate Russians. How well, I, uh, look, on board uh, that. John, I need, to, I need to go to the break. I'm deeply grateful for your lovely call. I'm sorry that you experienced that in Norwich of all places. Uh, but uh, xenophobia and racism is endemic in, uh, in the human race, in the human condition. Uh, you know, people who are a, a light color uh, look down on people who are slightly darker. Even people who are light black look down on people who are darker black and so on. People don't like Johnny Foreigner uh, coming over here, uh, taking our women and uh, all of that. The, these things are part of human nature, sadly. Uh, one day I believe that the new man and the new woman uh, will grow out of these things. Perhaps uh, the human race has more maturing to do before we can see the back of all these things. The important thing is to keep all of these things within bounds, to do whatever we can through education, through legislation, through policing, to make sure that none of these things become dangerous to social peace, to personal safety, uh, to the health and mental health of uh, people to whom these things are issued, to whom these things are directed. Uh, there are good signs uh, that we are able to transcend them. I myself have five mixed race children and none of them, touch wood, so far has experienced any racism in Britain and have a collection of friends of different ethnic backgrounds and different mother tongues and so on. Racism seems to be a thing that people uh, develop as they get older, often in response to alienation and bitterness uh, about their lot in life and being pointed down the wrong avenues and pointed at the wrong culprits uh, for the reasons for their alienation and for their relative lack of success in life. Myself, I simply don't understand it. Never having had, felt, or experienced a single scintilla or flicker of dislike for someone because of who or what they were. And if I can do it, everyone can do it. And tell your friend to put that in his pipe and smoke it. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. 
Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Velour XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One man who is in the United States is the coolest cat in Washington, D.C., the one and only Garland Nixon. Garland, welcome back to the mother of all talk shows. When your president broke the news to an excited clack in Washington that Britain's new prime minister was somebody called Rashid Sunuk, what do you think he meant? Well, you know, considering that he once referred to um, uh, Barack Obama, he stumbled to his name and he said, my old boss, and then he eventually referred to him as, and literally, Rab Rock. So, I mean, if Barack Obama is Rab Rock, I guess Rashid Sanuk, when it comes to when it comes to Joe Biden, you know, you just kind of kind of take what you get on any given day. As close as he can go, come, we'll take it. How is he doing? How is he bearing up? I keep seeing videos of him uh, that are more and more unhinged. Is that how the American people are now seeing him? Well, you know, generally what we get from Joe Biden is he goes somewhere, he gives a speech, he stands in front of the podium, and then he wanders around the podium for considerably longer than it actually took him to give the speech with his arms out looking for someone to talk about. And eventually an aide comes and directs him off of the um, off of the stand. So Joe Biden is, I guess, searching for the ghost of corn pop or someone to uh, to lead him around. But uh, right now he's I think he's uh, about to walk into a very, very serious problem in a couple of weeks when it comes time for people to head to the polls. Yeah, I wanted to turn to that, of course. Uh, you were the first man to predict uh, a wipeout of, uh, of biblical proportions, I think you said. Uh, our, uh, the opinion polls seem to have caught up with you. Uh, tell us how it's looking for Biden and the Democrats in two weeks' time. Uh, I don't think it looks well for the uh, Democrats. One of the things we have to look at is history. Historically, the Democrats in, on, in any given year don't show up well in the midterms. So we don't expect them to have a, a strong out, uh, a strong uh, turnout. Um, the Democratic Party is you know, not thrilled right now. One of the big stories right now, and I think it will be of consequence when it comes to the midterm, about 30 members of the alleged left flank of the Democratic Party wrote a document and they sent it to Joe Biden. It was I mean, it was 
it has been interpreted as a some kind of a left-leaning call for um, diplomacy. If you read it, if you actually read it, it's pretty much a tongue bath for the neocons. And there's like one sentence that says, on top of everything that you're doing that's wonderful and all of the wonderful weapons we're seeing, we should add diplomacy. So the about 30 Democrats put that out. Within 24 hours, they completely backed off of it and basically said it was a mistake. The mainstream media said, and you're this is hard to believe. They said, that's exactly what Vladimir Putin would want, a call for diplomacy and peace, which means, of course, I guess if Vladimir Putin was um, in favor of tooth decay, the uh, Democratic Party would have to, I mean, if he opposed tooth decay, the Democratic Party would have to be in favor of tooth decay. So for 24 hours, they claimed that they kind of wanted peace or something, and that went out the door. We're seeing more and more videos of uh, members of the Democratic Party being heckled and you know, verbally accosted by their constituents who are unhappy, <laughs> to say the least, with what's going on with Ukraine and the, uh, the subsequent funding. Well, uh, no disrespect, uh, implicit disrespect, uh, but the Black Caucus, the Progressive Caucus, uh, they're all, it's all a chimera, isn't it? These 30 uh, liberal imposters, their opposition to Biden's policy, and as you've explained, it wasn't even really opposition. It, it, it lasted less time than snow on a wall uh, in the springtime. Well, and not only that, <clears throat> Their excuse was uh, absurd. So one, Pramila Jayapal, which is the head of the, the chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, said that this thing was actually written back in June and the staffers released it. Throw the staffers under the bus. Why don't you? Right. The staffers released it apparently without her knowledge. However, I did um, quickly institute my old uh, uh, investigative uh, skills to actually read the document. And I found the document mentioned one of the things that mentioned that the annexation of Ukrainian territory by the Russian Federation, which didn't happen until late September. So if her excuse was it was written in June, then somehow she must have had a premonition when she wrote it that there would be some of the annexate, some of Ukraine annexed, either that or her story is a complete lie. I'm going with the second. Yeah, I, I lean towards the latter interpretation. But I suppose the point I'm trying to make is it's not just Biden. It's the entire rotten edifice of the Democratic Party. This, uh, uh, the, the, the Great Hope, AOC, uh, and all these uh, lefties, Muslims, black women, and so on, they've all turned out to be, well, to say the least, a gigantic disappointment. Yes, but, but you know, people, we should have saw that coming. So I, I am a person, I've been in media for a long time. So for every year they have something in Washington, D.C. called the Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legis Legislative Conference. And they have all kinds of, you know, events and various and sundry things all over the place. When you go to these events, you will see on the wall sponsored by Lockheed Martin, sponsored by Pfizer. This year, on the web page, it should still be up, Congressional Black Caucus Annual Legislative Congress Conference. Go to the web page and it says, powered by Amazon. So there's nothing but more um, neoliberal corporate puppets there. They're calling themselves the Congressional Black Caucus, but they're just another 
a corporate caucus. And ultimately, when they wrote this document, the, 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 the thing that I think is important, I would encourage everyone to read it, is it reinforces every neocon trope within this document where they're supposedly saying they want diplomacy, but they start off by saying that Ukraine is an independent, sovereign, democratic country. Well, we overthrew the government in 2014. What kind of government is overthrown by the U.S.? They have a puppet government installed, and we still call them an independent, sovereign nation. So they are, they, they are simply pushing lies and neocon claims to their constituents in the guise of calling for um, diplomacy. But their constituents are the ones suffering by the gigantic siphoning off of U.S. taxpayer dollars to the military-industrial complex and thence to Ukraine. All these uh, billions of dollars could have been, uh, you know, putting food on the table of American taxpayers, giving jobs, building hospitals and schools and propping up the crumbling infrastructure. Uh, I guess that's why the public are beginning to heckle them. Oh, absolutely. And what, what we're looking at a couple of things here. You know, let's not forget, one year ago, in June of 2021, Congress passed a $250 billion bill supposedly to counter China technically on technology. One year later, which is August of this year, they passed a $280 billion bill to challenge or China on technology or something again. Then, of course, we're up to about 110 billion to Ukraine. Money is no object to these people when it comes to handing that handing it out to the people who are going to fund their campaigns. And people are getting hip to this. It's I'm, I'm hearing more and more people who are uh, members of the Democratic Party and the Republican Party, to be quite frank, getting sick of their party members. And I think we're seeing a um, we're going to start seeing an, an exodus. I think a lot of people are going to vote with their feet. I think you're going to have a lot of Democrats or rather not vote with their feet. They're going to stay home and rake leaves on, uh, on, on, the, uh, on election day. Now, let's turn to election day. I did read some uh, polling today that the Republican candidates backed by Donald Trump, uh, the ones that have his endorsement, are all miles and miles in the, in the lead. It's likely to be a good night for Trump, isn't it? I think so. And one of the things that you have, I mean, again, we have to take this into consideration, and that is Donald Trump has made part of his stump speech recently an opposition to, you know, if not just the war in Ukraine on moral basis, the money going to Ukraine and the danger of nuclear war. And I think that that is um, that's one of the things that is marshalling that's marshalling his troops together. I think that's one of the things that is going to um, get people out to the polls. So the 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 Republican Republicans have something to actually a reason to, to get people to the polls. The Democrats basically have nothing but, you know, January 6th and we're afraid of Trump. I suspect the Democrats are going to pay a heck of a price. And then we're going to see um, a fight in the Republican Party because this element that is more a populist element, the MAGA element, um, I think they're going to be pushing back against the mainstream Republicans that just want to be part of the machine and to feather their nest with um, neocon uh, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon money. 
So it's going to be interesting to watch the fight in the Republican Party. Well, two fights, the fight in the Republican Party regarding policy, but then the fight in the Democratic Party, because I imagine there will be people saying, we just took a beating, we need to reverse course. And the mainstream media and the main and the people who fund Joe Biden and the neocons are not going to be in any mood to reverse course. But uh, they've only we've talked before about the attempt clearly signaled to criminalize Trump, to put him out of the uh, race in 24. Uh, they don't have long left to do that, do they? Because if this goes the way we both think it will, they're going to be out of power effectively in a couple of weeks' time. So are they going to try some kind of indictment, grand jury, charges, or has that run out of steam? You know, it wouldn't surprise me if they do, because I don't put anything past this Democratic Party. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they make an attempt. It's going to be considerably harder when the Republicans get one or both, as I suspect, both houses um, of Congress, because they're going to be investigating um, the I, I suppose they're going to be looking into the uh, the the workings of the uh, FBI and its connections to the Democratic Party and some of the things that happened during Russia, Russiagate. So so it's going to be much more difficult for them. They want to do it, but I don't know if they'll be able to. The other question is this. Will the Republican Party do actually do an honest investigation or will it be how can we investigate on behalf of the deep state so we can tie everything to China so that rather than looking into Hunter Biden in Ukraine or Romania or any of the other things or Joe Biden, they will simply say we want to ch tie Joe Biden to China and we want to do an investigation that the people in Langley, Virginia will be standing up on their seats clapping for. That's, I think, a question that we have to um, have to take into account. Fascinating. We'll talk again at election time. Garland Nixon, thanks as always for joining us on the mother of all talk shows. Let's go to Dario uh, in Eastleigh on Nord Stream. Go ahead, Dario. Uh, just a simple question. Um, I think we've already discussed this on your stream a couple of times uh, regarding the uh, Nord Stream T pipeline and uh, who the culprit might be for the sabotage. Um, Germany, um, as a 50% shareholder of uh, building this uh, this pipeline, is uh, refusing to give any information. Even to uh, members of their own parliament, they won't give information. Yes, yes, yes they're lying to the whole world, and they they know what they know what the truth is, but they won't admit it. Uh, as I say, and uh, you've already said it before, we all know who the culprit is, but we won't mention it right now. Um, my question basically is. Um, especially as Germany has a uh, 50% sort of stake in the uh, whole venture. Um, they're refusing and quoting public, um, uh, what do you call it, um, you know, uh, secure, national security um, for the reason not to release this information, right? Now, as every yeah. citizen is going to be struggling to pay their bills and, you know, we're facing apparently this cold winter and hunger, um, doesn't um, the security of every citizen uh, qualify as um, national security? As and national security. Uh, they've, they've got a very uh, restricted definition of national security and it doesn't include 
the actual security of the nation, Dario, as you uh, very well and eloquently imply. Thanks for that call. Saad is in Virginia on Ukraine. Go ahead, Saad. Uh, hey there, Mr. Galloway. I uh, just wanted to mention one or two points. As the war goes on, it's more likely that the Russians will use more and more sophisticated weapons. I know that last week we were talking about the multiple warheads in one missile, missile which is called MIRV technology, multiple independent retarget vehicles. And in this case, they don't really even have to put nuclear warheads. It could be just warheads with high explosives that can just create havoc in cities when it comes to uh, MIRV technology. But on the other hand side, one last thing I wanted to mention, imagine in the next five, ten years if they come up with MIRV missiles with A-10 warheads and they consist of biological or chemical type of weapons, imagine what kind of havoc that will be creating. So nuclear weapons doesn't even really have to be used in these scenarios or situations. That's what I wanted to mention. Well, it's a very powerful point. Uh, look at the devastation caused uh, by, by the COVID-19 virus. There is increasing reason to believe uh, that uh, COVID-19 and the virus uh, was man-made and was researched in a laboratory. And that research and that laboratory was paid for by the United States of America. There is more and more and more evidence for that uh, becoming uh, clearer. And if you were to pack into a warhead chemical and biological weaponry, uh, you can actually do almost as much damage to the people of the targeted area uh, as any nuclear weapon would be able to do, and you would not have to knock down all the buildings. You would not have to knock down the factories and the uh, centers for producing wealth. You could just wipe out all the people, a kind of biological neutron bomb. Uh, I'm sure that the devilish, devilish so-called scientists that may well have produced deliberately the COVID-19 virus, not deliberately to release it, but deliberately because they could. And the gain of function research uh, of these hideous, evil, wicked, uh, biological bioweapons uh, that are being researched, uh, particularly in the United States, but particularly, increasingly, by the United States in other people's countries, including, of course, Hunter Biden's laboratories in Ukraine. Mike is in South Carolina on the U.S. elections. Go ahead, Mike. All right, George. Good to see you again. We'll talk to you. The, uh, uh, you're you're doing you. great with your show. And uh, I just wanted to I wanted to uh, ask you one thing. There's two people that, that I would love to see on your show. Claire Daly, the uh, uh, MEP, and uh, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, who has a lot of information on the on the bombings of the uh, uh, you know the pipelines and stuff. But let's go on to uh, uh, you know actually what Garland was talking about in the elections here in the United States coming up here in just a week. Or so 
The uh, yeah, yeah, okay. The yeah, uh, go on. there's been a lot of yeah, there's been a lot of changing of polls uh, all during this time, and you know. Uh, as you and I both know, Democrats and Republicans are both two cheeks of the same backside, and that's not going to change, you know, without another, you know, another party in there. But the uh, the election is not a given. Uh, I, I live in the South uh, of the United States, and uh, uh, I see what what's been happening, you know, with the advertisements and stuff. And it's the money. It's it's the huge amounts of there's there's like ten billion dollars being spent in these last little while on this election uh, to uh, uh, to prop up a lot of candidates on the uh, on the right who really shouldn't be winning, uh, you know, or, or or even ahead in the polls, you know, based on uh, on what they're saying, what their actual you know position is, which you get, you really can't even get a position for the right in in America, but. Uh, but it does go back and forth. And, and you know, people uh, hear, okay, the idea of the uh, uh, Supreme Court striking down Roe v. Wade is going gonna, is gonna to play heavily in this. Uh, even though they say that it, the tide has changed, there was a time when, when the Democrats were ahead just, just shortly a while ago. And it's going to change again. Uh, maybe, you know, by the time the actual election happens and, and uh, people are motivated on both sides. I understand that. But, uh, uh, you know, the uh, the people that Trump supports, I, I really don't know, you know, what their actual policy would be other than more of the same, which, you know, you're going to get a lot of that from the Democrats, too. But there are people, you know, that are going to be voting in this. And, and it's record turnout already to have early voting uh, in this state and in Georgia and the other states around me. And I'm watching this. There's a, it's record numbers of early voters. So I yeah, think 10, we're million, see. 10 million people have voted already. Absolutely. And this is more than ever before. So, you know, it's going to be one of these things. Where we're going to have to wait and see what happens. But even if the Republicans turn the House and the Senate, uh, you know, that they might impeach Biden, but they're not going to remove him from office. It'll be just like the two impeachments of uh, Trump. And they couldn't get him out either, you know, because it takes, you know, a two thirds vote to do it. And it's just not going to happen. Sure. No, sure. Uh, and in any case, they'd be hoping that Joe Biden hung on uh, by <laughs> by his fingernails, wouldn't you? I mean, that's your ultimate. Uh, that's your dream in the run-up to 24. An increasingly frail uh, Joe Biden hanging on by his fingernails, uh, facing the danger of uh, expulsion uh, from office, whilst his family, crime family, are, uh, are thoroughly investigated by the representatives of the other crime family. No, I'm with you on that. Two cheeks of the same backside, but the difference is it's the Democrats who are the incumbents and the incumbent is therefore responsible for the current state of the war, the danger of World War III, the economic disaster that has been visited on uh, all of America's allies and to an extent America itself. My great call as always, Ali is in Manchester in England. Go ahead, Ali. Good evening, George. Yes, just regarding the Ukraine crisis at the moment, with things getting worse for the Ukrainian army, day by day the Russians are getting stronger, they're mobilizing, and I don't personally believe that they're going to mobilize 300,000. I think it's way more than that. It could be over a million. Uh, with things getting worse, mm -hmm. 
I see the Zelensky regime <clears throat> possibly plotting a false flag, a dirty bomb, they say. And uh, with the defense minister of the Russians, he he's always quiet. He never usually comes out. He's always quiet, conceals himself. But with him making emergency phone calls to the West, which is unusual, uh, what's your t take on this? Well, uh, you're absolutely right. I did allude to it earlier. You've given more details. Shoigu, the defense minister of Russia, phoned uh, Wallace, the defense minister of Britain. He phoned the German and the French defense ministers. And I think he spoke with the American defense minister. And he told all of them that Russia has reason to believe that the Zelensky regime has prepared a dirty nuclear bomb, that's to say not a fully functioning pucker, uh, all singing, all dancing nuclear bomb, but a nuclear bomb nonetheless, which they intend to explode uh, in some uh, reports near the nuclear plant uh, held by Russia uh, and to create it as a false flag uh, so that Russia will be blamed. Now that Russia has blown the whistle on that, uh, only the extremely gullible would believe that Russia would have a need uh, to explode such a bomb. And if it did explode such a bomb, why it would be such a primitive and dirty one rather than a high-tech, modern, clean one. Uh, but of course, there are a lot of extremely gullible people in the world and a lot of wicked leaders and, and journalists and broadcasters who would seek to lead them into that conclusion. One thing is for sure, uh, if such an explosion takes place, then all gloves are off, all hell breaks loose, uh, the dogs of war are unleashed and cry havoc will undoubtedly echo throughout the continents. Thanks uh, very much for that, Ali. Kevin in Suffolk wants to talk about Rashid Sonuk. Go ahead, Kev. Yeah, I, I don't know if you've done this because I missed the first bit of the show, but um, there's a, I mean, I know he's been talking about this for a while, but there's a couple of reports today that um, he's asked the Bank of England to look into uh, CBDCs. Um, uh, oh, God, what's it called? You know, like a Bitcoin-type currency issued by the bank. A digital, um, digital uh, yeah, yeah, currency yeah. for Britain. Yes, he, he has set up an, set up a, a task force to investigate that. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that is absolutely terrifying. And um, I mean, to me, that explains what's been going on these last three or four months. I mean, I, I think it, it's fairly clear that Boris, I think, was warned off. Um, they brought down trust and not that, you know, I've got, you know, great uh, faith in, I never had great faith in trust, but I mean, it, you know, she was trying to go down the Thatcherite route, which, okay, you know, you can argue about that, but it's not like they, they she clearly didn't have the um, uh, confidence and support of like the international institutions because um, the EMF head, uh, uh, criticised her, um, and that person I can't remember the name, but she'd been the um, uh, she'd been the deputy to uh, Jean-Claude Juncker in the EU Commission. So 
you know, I, I think basically, I think this country, I think we were warned that there would, you know, basically Sterling would go out the window. Um, I, 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 I think there's been, it's just really worrying times, you know. I, 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 I think. Well, uh, I think. I mean, I, I agree with you that there's been a coup. Uh, of course, we've now got. Uh, we've, we're now on to our third prime minister on the same mandate, and this prime minister Rashid Sunuk uh, was elected by nobody. Not a single vote was cast uh, beside his name. Uh, by one means or another, and in due course we'll learn what some of those means were, what the uh, weapon uh, that was used to force Boris Johnson out of the race, was it uh, reward or punishment that he was promised? Uh, was he blackmailed? Uh, was some uh, dreadful secret revealed to him? Uh, that would be coming his way. We now know that contrary to all the glee uh, of uh, Martin Croxel about whom more later and others, uh, he did have over a hundred nominations. So he could have uh, stood against Rashid Sunuk and he probably would have beaten him. But for some reason, Boris Johnson decided he no longer wanted to be Britain's Prime Minister, and it will be interesting, as I'm sure we will one day learn, what the reasons for that were. So clearly there's been a coup, but I don't agree with your implied point that there is any qualitative difference between any of the three of them. I believe that Boris Johnson and Liz Truss and Rashid Sunuk are all uh, WEF globalist uh, puppets. I don't believe that any of them represented a different way. I believe that the argument that's going on is only about which is the best puppet uh, to implement the agenda of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab and the globalized capitalists that have brought us all to the brink of ruin. Rashid uh, Sonouk started this digital currency lark when he was Chancellor of the Exchequer, by the way. So he's only just bringing back to the drawing board that which, uh, which he uh, had already uh, started. Now, uh, some programming information. If you're in the US, the show will be on an hour later next week, not earlier, as I said will be on an hour later next week because your clocks go back. So 9 p.m. in the UK is 2 p.m. Pacific time and 5 p.m. Eastern time. That's for Wednesday's show. By the way, in the last week, more than 1.1 million people have watched all or part of the mother of all talk shows. Just go and figure that. Richard is in Butte in Scotland. Let's go there. It's a Butte of a place. Richard, welcome. Good evening, sir. May I call you George? By all means, and I envy you being on the Isle of Butte, a very beautiful place. Go ahead. Thank you, George. Well, I'm a veteran Royal Marine. I could talk about all the topics that you've been about tonight. Great interest. 
But I would like to speak about something that's been going on for a century or more, but is very relevant today, and that is uh, music. Okay? Oh, yeah. Back in 1910-ish, the American musicians rejected an idea, and the reason they rejected it, because it went against their ethos of culture as they seen it. And that culture was the beauty of music. And it took until 1936 when the uh, Rothschilds and Rockefellers got together and paid a lot of uh, the organizations that ran benefits for musicians to uh, try and put this forward again, and it was rejected again. And this was a simple thing called uh, tuning forks. Silly as it may sound, how you tune an instrument. And it was not imposed until 1939 by the British, the artificially imposed standard of... Uh, what was uh, C over A, so basically that equals uh, 440 hertz, which is today's current standard for music uh, on all media. And the British agreed to it at the last moment, at the start of war, remember, due to the interference and persuasion of a chap called Goebbels from Germany. I find that very curious. But uh, recently... Well, uh, it's all gone uh, over my head, Richard. I'm sure, I'm sure that uh, there are listeners who understand what you're talking about. Uh, I wouldn't be one of them, but I promise you, I'll study it harder before we speak uh, again. Uh, it tuned me right out. Lewis is in Norfolk. Let's hear from him. Lewis, go ahead. Yeah, hello, George. Uh, great show, by the way. Um, um, yeah, I've got Thanks, a few man. points which you've covered most of them. You've covered most of them already, uh, George. But I'll, I'll still go ahead. Um, the you were saying earlier about the new boss, well, about the uh, virus and that, and our American friends. Well, apparently, they've already created a new Boston virus in their uh, special labs, which uh, can now kill eighty percent of the mice instead of zero. Percent of the mice, so uh, I, I, they've already got I, that. I, on I the did go. see that. I, I, yeah, I, I did yeah, very see it. worrying. It's, it's simply terrifying. To me, it's Why? more terrifying than nuclear weapons, uh, because at least uh, if we're hit by a nuclear weapon, we're going to be dead instantly uh, and uh, relatively painlessly. We're going to be blasted into smithereens, uh, whereas these uh, biological weapons. Uh, are somehow more pernicious for me. I don't know if everybody feels that way, but I certainly do. Indeed. Another thing, George, if you don't mind, if I can carry on. There was a, go on, a, US, go on. a US Colonel Richard Black. He's on the uh, on the Schiller Institute, if you want to take a look. Um, he's very yeah, we are trying like... to get him. We're trying to get Claire Daly, who's been a guest before. 
Uh, yeah. We're trying uh, all the time, so please keep suggesting guests and we'll keep pursuing them. We can't always get them, but we'll always pursue them. He's, he's another one we ought to have a look at because he's saying exactly the same as you. About he's outstanding. The dirty yeah. bomb. He's, a, he's and outstanding. That could well be. Lewis, thanks uh, for your call. I've got to go to Alabama, uh, down home Alabama. It's Peter on China. What a university of the airwaves this is. Go on, Peter. George, thank you. I just wanted to um, affirm and compliment you for a comment you made earlier in the week. I'm not sure how many viewers saw it, but overall, the. Uh, the nonsense in the mainstream media when Hu Jintao was "quote unquote" escorted, um, you know, out of out of Xi Jinping's election. Um, you know, here the in America, you know, left and right, Fox and CNN, everybody just made. You would have thought they escorted him to an alley to shoot him in the back of the head or something. And you very rightly pointed out that you know he was escorted out by the same people that escorted him in. Um, you know, he's an elderly man. He needed to take a break, take some rest, and I believe. When he came back in to, to sign whatever he had to sign, you know, there was like an ovation for him. I mean, it was just heartbreakingly beautiful. And you pointed out that I think, you know, unlike the United States, you know, Chinese politicians take care of their elderly. Um, and there's, there's no shame in being, being an elderly man and you're, you're still welcome to contribute to the forum. Um, but they don't, you know, whereas here, you know, President Brandon, you know, it's just gap after gap after gap and, um, it's just so sad to watch and so embarrassing. And I think just the hypocrisy in our media to, to you know, isolate this one little clip and make it sound like, you know, they were going to execute this guy um, because they're just a big evil Chinese dragon. Whereas, you know, no one thinks twice about the fact that, you know, our president is bumbling around, just absolutely senile. Um, anyway, you made it. That was an excellent well, uh, point. Look, on Peter, uh, that, that's very, very beautifully Put, uh, I did indeed make that point uh, on Sunday. Uh, they say that a lie is halfway around the world before the truth has got its boots on, and that's an underestimation. Uh, the truth is uh, slow, and the lie is as fast as light. And the lie uh, about China and Hu Jintao at the Congress literally went at the speed of light everywhere. And it was an absolute brazen, blatant lie. It wasn't a mistake by the New York Times, by the Melbourne Age, by the BBC and CNN. It wasn't a mistake. It was a deliberate lie that somehow the former president of China had been dragged off the stage at the party congress, as you say, and the implication being that he'd been taken around the back and shot. He was helped off the platform by exactly the same stewards who'd helped him onto the platform. If Joe Biden had stewards like that, the United States would have been spared the endless humiliation of a blithering, blabbering idiot in charge of the world's most powerful country who thinks that the new prime minister of my country is a man called Rashid Sunuk. Go figure in the United Kingdom. 
This man isn't fit to send out for a loaf. And he's the one who needs stewards to help him off the stage. The You may think it's a trivial lie. And in a way, in the great scheme of things, it is. But it's an emblematic lie. And it ought to send the message to you. If they can lie about that, if they can lie that Xi Jinping was overthrown in a military coup just a few weeks ago, if they can lie about these things, what else are they lying about? My last call for this evening is the legend, Norma in Bristol. Go ahead, my dear Norma. <laughs> Hello, George. Um, you know the Sponsy Rava? It's Ravi, isn't it? Yes, um, yes. Well, I'm going to pay you a compliment because I do think your skin, face skin, looks quite attractive. <laughs> and I'm Thank wondering you, if darling. I... <laughs> Thank you. My wife applies one of Ravi's masks every day. Oh, um, and it's yeah. really making a difference. I mean, wow. I, it makes me look 20 minutes younger uh, when, I, when I come out from under the mask, but it's actually making my skin healthier. I'm actually glowing as a result of that critical <laughs> cosmetics. And I haven't even wow. started eating the ingredients yet. Once I'm eating the ingredients, I'll be pulling off this jacket. I'll be Superman underneath, Norma. How have you been? How's your health? Well, no, but listen, I was wondering if I might buy some. And it's 220K. Yes. Go on to their website. That... Go on to their website, yeah. Yeah, was it 220km.com? Or something like that, yeah. isn't it? Uh, it's 220kminc.com. It's up there on the screen, uh, I think. Oh, right, yeah. If not, uh, scroll okay. back to the beginning and you'll see it there. No, you definitely uh, should get it. I've not got any spare or I'd send you one uh, myself. <laughs> um, I need all the masks I can get, Norma. So do I, George, but then I don't Gayatri go out much. lovingly applies it. She lovingly applies it. I think oh, it's well. lovingly. Anyway, maybe she just wants me to look younger. <laughs> You could no, understand that, honest, couldn't you? No, yeah, I'm sure you, you've got such a loving relationship anyway, George. I don't think my husband exactly. would apply it to me, but I still think I'll get them. <laughs> I think you should, uh, Norma. And uh, please give your husband my very best uh, regards. And it's lovely to hear you in such fine voice and to bring the show uh, towards an end. Um, I wanted to say a couple of things in wrapping up the show. The first is about a Martine Croxon. I mentioned her at the beginning, not because she's of any particular importance, but because she gives the lie that we've been fed all of our lives, that somehow the BBC is impartial. There she is there. That's her delivering the news that Boris Johnson has withdrawn from the race to become Britain's new Prime Minister. And she actually said live on air, am I allowed to look this exultant because that's how I feel? 
Now, I have zero objection to broadcasters expressing either in their grins or in their words what they truly feel. I just don't want to be forced to pay for it if I don't like what it is that they think and feel. I don't want to be forced to pay for it as I am forced to pay for the BBC. This joker interviewed me at a crucial point during the Batley by-election where I got 22% of the vote and where Labour was having to throw the kitchen sink legal and illegal at me to stop me from capturing that seat in that by-election. I very nearly did and would have if not for their dirty tricks. And one of their dirty tricks was her. Paid for by the taxpayer, she was sent as an attack dog to interview me and try and derail my parliamentary election campaign. She singularly failed. It was one of my most spectacular interviews. You'll find it easily online. And I said at the time, this is the last interview I shall ever give to the BBC. And I saved the best for last. And so it's farewell then, Jacob Rees-Mogg. You of the double-breasted jackets, double-breasted pajamas, double-breasted stiff upper lip, we shall not look upon your like again. I confess to having a soft spot for Jacob Rees-Mogg, who left government yesterday, almost certainly for the last time, though you can never say never. In politics, it looks like Jacob is retiring uh, to his nest eggs in the British Virgin Islands. Jacob is a British patriot, so patriotic that he avoids British taxation on most of the millions that he earns, if earns is the word, by sheltering them in tax havens in the Caribbean. But he is patriotic to the point that most of, not all, his tax havens are at least British Virgin Islands rather than anybody else's Virgin Islands. And they're called Virgin Islands for a reason, because the taxpayer and the taxman cannot get his hands on those virgins in the Caribbean. But I do share some things in common with Jacob Rees-Mogg. I have a love for, uh, you might say, or a tonned English language. I like to hear the English language spoken well and read it written well. I haven't the benefit of his expensive education, but I'm at least as smart as him and I'm interested in many of the same things that he is. He is not a louche character which explains uh, his six children, his family values, doesn't explain his attachment to Boris Johnson whose attitude to family values is somewhat more elastic uh, than Jacob's and my own. 
like me, he is a father of six children. Like me, he is a religious believer. Like me, he loves the Roman Catholic Church. Like me, he is opposed to abortion and opposed to uh, to euthanasia and many other things we have in common. But the one thing that we will never have in common is Jacob's love for the economic and political system of globalized capitalism. It seems to me a contradiction to his religious beliefs. As Marx predicted, under globalized capitalism, as its stages grew higher and higher, all that is sacred would be profaned, and all that was solid would melt into air. And that is exactly what has happened. I will always remember him on my RT Sputnik show, even though a member of a government that would soon be more or less permanently at war with Russia and would abolish RT and bring our Sputnik program back crashing down to earth by making it illegal in the interests of freedom. I valued his presence on our Sputnik show. I'd like to ask you to watch it on YouTube, but it has almost certainly been airbrushed from history forever. I liked to hear him in Parliament and talk with him about great parliamentarians and great parliamentary occasions in the past. Some of those great parliamentary occasions uh, will be forever linked to him, particularly him lying flat out on the House of Commons green benches whilst telling the workers that they better get back to work and pretty damned quick. Farewell then. We will not look upon your like again, Jacob Rees-Mogg, unless, unless your son takes your place in the British political firmament. The last time I saw that little boy, he too was wearing a double-breasted jacket. And maybe a new Rees-Mogg will grace the House of Commons again. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you, but I have overshot my time, uh, for which I shall be punished, no doubt, by the... Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. The relevant authorities. I hope you've enjoyed the show, and if you have, come back on Sunday at 7 p.m. UK time for the mother of all talk shows.